Thanks for listening and subscribing to DIY for Business. It's Russ and Greg with you. Greg, how's it going? It is going great. How are you? Uh, good, good. I'm, I'm a little warm. Um, <laughs> you, you look a little I, red. You look a little I, red well, right now. Yeah, well, uh, that could be either embarrassment or uh, the fact that I just went on a bike ride. Uh, <laughs> maybe a little of both. I don't know. But I got the sweatshirt on. So, you know, going, going, you know, business, very business casual today. But I mean, you know, I work virtually, so not not a big deal. <laughs> Speaking of working virtually, yeah, I have I actually have some big news to share with you. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you know my daughter; she's been going to law school and uh, you know plugging away. Right. And uh, she graduated recently. Well, she just took the bar a few months ago, and we just got the results, and she passed. She is oh. now an attorney. Yes. Nice. That's very cool. It is so cool. I mean, it's just a, such a relief. I mean, I, I can only imagine how she feels. I'm relieved, right? The the, <laughs> how is it that we get more stressed than our kids leading up to these things, right? Like, I, well, I get stressed about every little test and all this stuff. It's like, oh, is it going to Well, gonna you'll, you'll, you'll get a kick out of how stressed she was because she says, like, the week leading up to taking the bar and the week leading up to getting the results of the bar, she was losing hair like crazy. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Like the hair was just falling out of her head. Like every time she was showering and washing, yeah, she was just wow. hair like crazy. Wow. So the tie into the virtual thing that you just mentioned is that, you know, she works for a firm that um, is now going to hire her on full time because she just passed the bar. They're creating a position where they, they, they love her. And uh, they didn't have anything until she passed. She now passed. She's gonna. They're gonna create a position for, her and she gets to oh, work awesome. virtually. So oh, really, okay. Yeah. And so wait, where is, she, where is she? Where is she right now? It's, she's it's, in Sacramento. Okay. Yeah, she's in Sacramento, and the the firm that she's with covers clients all over California, the state of California. They're actually the the one of the largest, or if not the largest, nonprofit law firm in California. And um, so they have clients all over the place and you don't meet with your clients in person anymore, or at least the majority wow. of them, you're meeting them virtually over these secured, um, you know, virtual meeting rooms. And a lot of the cases that are just in front of judges and not, you know, jury trials, that type of thing, mm -hmm. they're also virtual. Jeez. So yeah, it's just a changing world. It's changing it really world. Is. I mean, you think back of Perry Mason yeah. days, that 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 unheard that of. Wasn't right? happen. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you had to get there in front of Andy Griffith and whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember who. <laughs> Absolutely. I know there were all the all the old shows. Uh yeah, even in yeah. front of Harry Anderson, right? I mean, I, it, I, I right. Great show. Exactly. There you go. Judge Judge Harry. Um Harry. you know, uh, today actually I, I met the one of the first, well, actually, I've known him for a bit, but at my company Beeswax, uh, I met somebody that was the first virtual employee. And I don't know, it goes back to like 2000 or something like that. He's been there for 20 some odd years. Right. And, um, you know, they've been doing this virtual thing for a long time, but a lot of companies are just not used to it. Like I try to think like, okay, so I had an entertainment business, like by nature, everything was virtual because right. you know they weren't going to come do, you know, weddings or parties at my office. So, you know, it was like, I was used to that virtual thing, but then other companies that I've been with, they're so not used to the virtual thing. In fact, there was one company I was with, that, like, this is like my, uh, they're, they're not on my LinkedIn profile. So nobody knows who this company is. So I can, I can 
talk a little funky about them, but um, uh, they like <laughs> basically required everybody to come in every single day yeah. and to be in the office at, you know, for a certain amount of hours. And I just, first I thought, okay, well, you know, it's an office. Like that's what you do. And then I thought how weird this is, <laughs> you know, because this is like, you know, COVID times it's, you know, your people are adjusting to these, like uh, everybody's virtual not right. just one or two people in your office, but everybody all the time. It's a big adjustment. I mean, it, it, it's, it's huge. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and not only is it people that there, there's the virtual like work and people working remote, but there's also virtual employees now. And, you know, we've, we've talked about that on the show and right. we're going to do a little more of that today to talk Let's to a it. virtual CMO, a uh, virtual marketing guy, Mark Donegan. Right. Thanks for joining hey, us. Hey guys. It's great to hey, be here. Mark. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. So uh, you uh, are a uh, a virtual CMO. Tell us a little about virtual. What that I am is virtualized coming to yeah. you virtually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure when you were a kid, you know, you, 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 everybody would ask, "What do you want to be?" And some people were, "I want to be a fireman, right? I, I, I want right. to be, I want to be a cop." And you were like, "I want to be a virtual CMO." So that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's. That's funny. Um, yeah. So, uh, yes, I am a virtual uh, CMO and I work with companies. I work with uh, technology startups primarily, and I uh, help them along the path of, you know, needing to grow, needing to expand. In some cases, uh, founders are, you know, are looking for guidance. Uh, generally, they're technical. So a lot of times they um, don't necessarily um, and I put this sort of in air quotes, uh, because many of the founders I work with have become fast students of business and marketing. So they will say, I don't know anything about marketing, but I'll often comment, you know, for someone who doesn't know anything about marketing, you are extremely knowledgeable. <laughs> so, but you know, they're, they're looking for that. Um, I guess you could say, you know, expert guidance or that, um, additional perspective and, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's great fun, a lot of variety, um, allows me to, uh, it, you know, grow my, my personal toolkit, um, yeah. along the way. So that's what I do. Well, I'm, I'm sure when you were a little kid and you're playing with your Hot Wheels and you're pushing the Lamborghini, you're saying, yeah, I'm going to be a virtual CMO. Like it probably wasn't quite a straight line to where you are today. Like, how did you get to this point and how did you decide that yeah. you wanted to be a virtual CEO, CMO? Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's super interesting. Um, your, your, your setup, uh, you know, with, um, uh, Greg, you know, with your daughter, um, yeah. working virtually and, and just the fact that it's no secret. And of course there's a little bit of a tug of war right now in some companies, um, with the senior executives wanting everybody back in the office and, right. and, and not necessarily everybody wanting to come back. And, you know, and a lot of people I think re-examined, um, maybe you could say priorities or just simply, you, you do have to ask yourself, um, if for three years, you know, or, or, you know, at least two years for, for most of us, we were forced virtual and not only did our organizations not cease to function, in many cases, they expanded, you know, we hired people, the teams grew and they continued to function. And in some cases got even more efficient because of new ways of working. Right. And so then you have to scratch your head and say, well, 
it's not like this is a temporary blip and all of a sudden we're going to go back, you know, to, <laughs> so I really think that, um, the virtualized way of working is, uh, is, uh, you know, it's an obvious statement, but it is here to stay. Um, but for me, uh, I was working remote flying, commuting. Uh, I was fortunate enough that, you know, I guess I was able to find opportunities where I could say, hey, I'm happy to work in the Bay Area, but I'm going to continue to live in Seattle. You know, uh, I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to move to San Francisco. You know, it's like my family, my friends, you know, and everything's in Seattle, but I'll be happy to fly in. And I was fortunate to have companies that said, hey, no issue, you know, no issue. Great. You know, let's do it. Uh, and then I live in Phoenix now. And so, you know, so wherever I was. So, for me, this whole virtual thing was just sort of, it's just called working. <laughs> so <laughs> now um, I am speaking about location virtualization. I think what you're really asking is, you know, a virtual executive typically works with, you know, a, a small number of companies simultaneously. Uh, and there's many different models. There's different ways that people like to work uh, in that manner. But for me, uh, I just work with a very small number of companies at a time uh, and, you know, we'll sometimes be doing some more advisory or, you know, um, you might say kind of your more traditional consulting, you know, where somebody might say, Mark, you know, we just would love for you to be available. Maybe we'll do a call once a week and, you know, when, when there's an emergency, something pop up, you know, to be able to get your expertise kind of kind of have you on standby, you know, for when, mm -hmm. when we need that expert guidance. So, but really hands in the dirt, I work with just, you know, just one, two, you know, uh, maybe two and a half companies at any one time, but very small number. And it's the variety um, that personally, I really enjoy, you know, being able to see slightly different views of the market, um, so I, I largely stay in the same market, in the same industry that is, you know, but um, seeing different views of the market, being able to really contribute in ways that um, uh, really move the needle, you know, and I feel like so much of being a full time, especially an executive, a leader, you're just, you're just, you know, kind of sometimes you're just drugged down and just the, you know, the stuff that has to be done, you know, there's the, the quarterly reports and the, you know, employee reviews and, you know, and it's all stuff that has to be done. But as a virtual executive, I just get to come in and I get to do the fun stuff, i.e. the really impactful stuff. And I love it. You know, it's just, it's a perfect fit uh, for, you know, kind of my personality, my, my temperament and, you know, and it's, it works really well for my clients as well. You know, for, for working with uh, a number of companies in the same industry, do yeah. you find yourself giving them kind of the same advice? Is it the same thing over and over again? Or do you, is, is it different and unique per uh, client? You know, um, it's a great question. Um, it's different and unique. It doesn't because the, uh, so it's different and unique and the same at the same time, if that makes sense, because <laughs> yeah. one of the things, you know, that I find is that the challenges of business are largely universal. 
And as much as we're all, um, you know, if we're in sort of a mid-sized organization, uh, you, you know, the mid-market, um, you know, we can think, oh, you know, it'd just be amazing to be in a big company, you know, and have more resources, have a larger team or, you know, whatever it is we feel we don't, you know, we don't have in that mid-market. If you're in a smaller company, if you're in a big, you know, if you're in a big fortune, you know, 1000, fortune 500, you know, it can feel like it would just mm -hmm. be amazing some days to not be encumbered with all of this, you know, corporate stuff and just sure. being a startup, you know, <laughs> yeah. well, let me tell you, there's challenges at, you know, on all, and they are different and yes, there, there can be, and there definitely are advantages, you know, in each of them. Right. And they're different and distinct, but the fundamental challenge of business is universal, whether, you know, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. And so whether I'm the local, you know, um, pool and spa reseller, you know, or I've got a, an air conditioning company, you know, or I have a tech startup or I work at Intel, you know, um, Intel has a major campus, just 20 minutes from where I live. You know, some of the challenges are a little bit similar. You know, they mm -hmm. really are scale scope, the way you address them, you know, the um, uh, tools that you have to address them are different for each, but that's business. So it doesn't mean that you come in with a playbook, but what it means is, is that the pattern recognition um, really can be helpful. And, and this is where there's an acceleration that can happen working with a virtual executive because uh, it's not that I bring in or, you know, any of my peers or anyone else who's, you know, working in a similar way is necessarily any smarter. And you could say, yeah, but you, you know, you have more experience. Well, really what that just translates to is being able to see patterns more quickly, mm. being able to get to root of problems, being able to, you know, Elon Musk really likes to talk about first principles, you know, and, and really first principles is just getting to the root, you know, and, and, and so I think that's what, you know, what, what I can bring and what I bring the companies that I work with. Um, and I know you work with a lot of tech companies and, and kind of mm -hmm. tech startups. And I used to, you know, be in the tech industry and I did a tech startup at one point, in my career, a few, a past life, as they say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the challenges that our founders had was they had this great technology. They understood technology, but they didn't know how to communicate that technology mm. to an audience so they would understand the benefits of it. They That's didn't right. know how to get that message out there in a proper way. They just knew how it worked and it was sure. really, really cool. And we're really happy <laughs> to tell everybody about the yeah. incredible details of the technology, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, and they're just going to understand it and they're going to want to buy it. And, you know, yeah. every, every media company in the world is going to want this. And, you know, that's that right. didn't happen exactly that way. Right? We had to figure it out on the marketing side. And I think that's what you work with your clients on is like, mm -hmm. okay, how do you message this? How do you brand this? And how do you... Get educate mm -hmm. people so you can build an audience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I call it the, you know, um, if you build it, uh, they will come syndrome. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and by the way, uh, one of the things I'm super passionate about is actually this issue because, um, 
it's 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 my observation that nowadays most companies that fail and we all know you know especially in startups you know the startup statistic and you know 90 percent plus um will fail and there is a meaningful percentage now i i don't know if it's 50 percent. i don't know if it's 40 i don't know if it's 70 percent. but it's a meaningful percentage of those failures that didn't have to happen and here's what I mean. The failure was not, um, they, they couldn't deliver on their promise. You know, they made a claim, this technology, what it could do, and it didn't work. That is occasionally, you know, obviously that happens too. You know, sometimes it's a moonshot and, and it, it just, you didn't, we didn't make it. You know, sorry, the rocket ran out of fuel and, you know, and okay, we tried, let's try another one, you know, we'll try tomorrow, you know? Um, so, so that can happen, but that actually is not always why the company fails. Why they fail is they fail to engineer the market with the same attention and care that they engineered <laughs> their solution or their technology or their product. Right? right. And this right. is where that if I build it, they will come falls in. And so they, you know, they put together an amazing technical team. They identify a, a real need in the market. Um, they develop a solution for it. And then they step back and they wait. <laughs> and yeah. then nothing happens. So then it's like, oh, okay, we just raised a series a, you know, we've got $20 million in the bank, you know, uh, or a series B, and now we can pour fuel on the fire. Let's expand the marketing team. Let's go hire, you know, somebody from our competitor or, you know, or, or an adjacent, you know, um, uh, company, somebody, you know, that we think, and, and they're going to be our savior, pay them as much as they want. You know, <laughs> we, we, we hire them and hire three or four, you know, folks that they refer in, that's going to solve our problem. And it doesn't, right? You know, oh, we just need a new head of sales. You know, boy, we thought that you know Joe was doing awesome, and we re replaced Joe with Sally. And boy, so now, why doesn't you know, we're not? So why doesn't it work? Goes on. Why doesn't on. it work for that? Because, because the problem is, is that um, they're often hiring and they're building uh, for their, you know, they're they're hiring people who are coming from incorrect context. They're coming from contexts that don't map. So, um, uh, you know, a famous one, especially in SaaS, is you hire someone out of HubSpot, someone who was nine years, you know, made, you know, incredible company, right? They were there for nine years. They advanced in their career. They're now a vice president, okay? And whatever function, fill in the blank, you know, whatever. And, you say, whoa, we're building a, you know, we're a SaaS company. Yeah, we're not exactly in the CRM space, but we're in the, you know, in, in, in the customer data platform or we're doing something that's, that's adjacent to it. We just need to get someone senior out of HubSpot and they're going to, they're going to know what to do. They're going to know how to execute the HubSpot marketing playbook. The problem is, is that you're not HubSpot. You don't have HubSpot's budget. You haven't invested, you meaning the startup, haven't invested, you know, 15 years in inbound marketing like HubSpot has. So this person can come in, accurately describe what the playbook is, but it's largely not going to work. What you need instead is someone who's a problem solver. 
So you need someone who's a student of business. You need someone who has a toolkit. They obviously have to understand how marketing works, you know, they or sales. They obviously have to understand, um, they have to have tools. They also have to have played the game. So just having tools, but not knowing how to use them isn't good enough. They right. can't be so far removed that the first order of business is, okay, where's my $2 million to build my team? Even if you just raise that $20 million round, you, you, you probably can stretch, but you're not going to stretch to, you know, a three or $4 million OPEX budget, $2 million for the team, plus who knows what else, right? You know, that's mm. out of the cards. And so then this person comes in, they really do know their stuff. So it's not that, you know, they, they, you know, they, they lied in the interview or they misrepresented. No, no. They legitimately yeah. were a part of the ride, but it's so different when you have the halo of this, you know, of this rocket, <laughs> you know, or you, or, or, or you're, you know, you're saddled on this rocket that's just shooting to the moon. And yes, you're playing your part and yes, you're contributing, but guess what? The rocket is going in that direction and there's really not anything you're going to do to slow it down, stop it, change the trajectory. You're just going to hold on and make sure you don't fall off in two many startups hire and it's just the wrong the, the wrong stage you know it's the wrong context and that's why they fail and it's that loop and that's usually when i get engaged is, <laughs> uh, you know is is yeah. a founder will call yeah. and quite uh -huh. often by the way i will get um you know when th through the initial conversations um it will be said you know, overtly, or it will be implied like, yeah, you know, because I'll always ask, well, so who, who did you have before? And what did the team look like? And are you rebuilding? Are you, why did they leave? And, you know, it's like trying to understand and I'll hear some version of, you know, they were actually incredible and they had such high promise and they did these good things. But at the end of the day, after 14 months, 16 months, 18 months, we, we, there was no business impact. We're not sure what happened. Hmm. And I always say, you know what? It wasn't them. It wasn't them at all. They didn't trick you. They didn't, you're right. Everything you perceive is true. And in some cases I've known some of the people, this is when the light bulb went off is when I went into, I had a few conversations where I knew, or I knew of because of circle of, you know, just network. Mm -hmm. And I went, that person's actually really good a great hire why did they fail and again in air quotes why mm -hmm. did they fail well they failed because the founder you know again product market fit or really understanding what the need of the market was the product actually didn't directly intersect with the need they claimed it did they didn't really have product market fit. That person's going to be executing a certain playbook that's even either wrong or wrong for the stage. And so therefore the whole thing falls apart. Sad thing is the founder just burned who knows how much money, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and now they're going, you know, we, we don't know what to do. We're starting to run out of runway and you know, like something is happening here. This right. is the failure. This is why companies fail. It's rarely because I come in, I say, well, you know, it's like the product isn't, you know, doesn't satisfy a need, doesn't work, et cetera. Rarely, every once in a while, you know, I'll be pitched something and I go, well, <laughs> that's probably, right. probably no need in the market for that. Right. <laughs> but that is rare. That is so rare.
So, okay, so the, it's not the person's fault. It's not a bad hire. But how do you know going in mm. when you're a, like the company listening right now is, you know, that that, yeah. that is like, you know what? I, I need help in marketing. I need help. I did hire somebody two years yeah. ago and we're not getting the results that we yeah. want. Like, what do they do like tomorrow when they get into yeah. the office or virtual? Yeah, office? that's right. Well, what do they do tomorrow? Um, look, you just have to be, you know, the first step is, um, you have to be just honest, you know, with the fact that it's, you have the wrong person. Um, if you're, you know, if you feel a sense of, you know, maybe even a little bit of guilt, you know, like, but you know, it's like, I recruited them away from a great position, uh, or, you know, yeah. or I made them this yeah. promise and, you know, like maybe there's a way I find it. And I'm a very optimistic person. I'm naturally my personality. I'm very, very empathetic. And so I also tend personally, my personal bias is, t is towards maybe we can find a way to make it work. Maybe, maybe they're not ahead of marketing, but maybe we could create this kind of biz dev slash strategy role, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, right. That's just kicking the can down the road because, right. because we're, we're taking, you know, square pegs. We're trying to fit them in round holes where even if it is a little bit of a better fit, and even if the company can benefit, you know, because look, people are very diverse. And so it is possible that that head of marketing might actually be, you know, you'd say, wow, you know, they actually really excel in strategy. Like maybe I just need to just turn them loose and just, you know, free them from all the, you know, having to run the marketing team and just, they can do strategy. Okay, fine. Um, but is that, is that what your startup needs right now? Most startups right. need revenue, you know, and yeah. let me tell you, we don't well, need more strategy. We need execution. So the first step is you just have to be honest. The second is that the sooner that you make the change, which unfortunately in a lot of cases means that you're going to have to move someone out. You know, um, there's just no easy way to say it, but the sooner you do that, the sooner you're going to be on a, on the right path. Otherwise your scenario is, is, is you could be headed towards a statistic. Well, I mean, that's what, just the sad reality. I, I guess there, I'm going to give you two questions in one here. There's yes. the whole like sunk cost, you know, like, uh, well, I've, I've there's, there's that fallacy. issue. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's also the, well, maybe it's my fault. Maybe I set the goals too yeah. high, you know, yeah. maybe like, yeah. is that the problem? Yeah. And you know, so I'll, I'll let you kind of take on both of those. Yeah. 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 What's interesting about the question you're asking is, is that this is inward focused as the entrepreneur, you know? Yeah. In other words, you know, this is sort of me as the entrepreneur. If I kind of put myself in the position of someone asking the questions that, that you just posed, you know, saying, maybe it's just me, maybe I need to do something. And, you know, um, look, there's all, again, I, I largely work with founders who are engineers, who are technical, who are product people. And a lot of times come out of these huge companies, you know, might be from Google or might be from Microsoft or might be, and candidly, um, they never had to, you know, if you're building a product in Google, you don't have to think 
gee, I wonder if anybody's going to adopt this. <laughs> right, right. You know, right. I mean, come on. Yeah. You know, now I know that they've got, I, I don't know if it's still called X, but you know, I, I know that Alphabet has their special group that's building all these moonshots and whatever. And so I know that there are people inside Google who might actually be building products. They might actually be asking, I wonder if anybody's going to adopt this. But most of the time, like you're building something and, you know, so, um, so the, the, the challenge is, is that it's easy to say, I just need more education. It was my fault. The problem is, is that you fundamentally have somebody who's, who's probably not going to make the leap. You know, they're right. just not going to make the leap because they're executing a playbook. That's the wrong playbook. And so this again is where engaging with somebody who can give you that perspective is super valuable because what they're really going to do is they're going to validate what you actually know to be true. Well, you know? so should it be though, that they're contacting you before they're letting this person go, they're bringing you in to sort of analyze, to see, or is it let the person go and, and, and bring somebody like you in? I, I mean, obviously it can, it can happen in all ways. Right. And, and usually, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough and, and I'm fortunate, but I intentionally invest a lot in my LinkedIn presence. And so, and, and because I really focus on the industry that I'm in, um, I sort of, am a little bit known and, and I'm not saying everybody knows me, but, um, I do have the benefit that people will often engage me at different points, you know, and I also work from the attitude that I love to just, I want to see everybody succeed. So if someone just reached out to me, if, if a founder reached out to me and just said, Hey Mark, you know, I'm, you know, I love what you do and, you know, been reading your stuff and, can we just schedule a call? You know, I, I think I could use some guidance. I'll jump on the, as soon as I've got time, you know, okay. I'll jump on the call and, you know, we'll just kind of, you know, talk it through. And sometimes, you know, that leads directly to me working with them uh, sometimes later and sometimes never, you know, but mm -hmm. so it's not that there isn't like a, Oh, make the change. And then, okay, now, now the deck's cleared because also sometimes it's really helpful to have that outside perspective. And you know, now this is true in sales even more so, um, you know, I, I need to replace my VP of sales. They're no good. Mm -hmm. You know, well, um, what tool like, uh, have you as the founder even successfully, have you done founder led sales? Now, you know, if, if the founder has not successfully been able to sell the product, how in the world do you expect that the, even a rock star salesperson is just going to parachute in and save the day? It does not happen. It doesn't happen in the world today. It just, right. you know, the way the B2B buying process. And again, my context, just, just to say it again for the listeners, so they're clear, I'm talking about B2B. So I'm talking and I'm, and, and I'm also working largely in the context, not of your, you know, like $99 a month SaaS 
um, seat licenses. Nothing wrong with that business model, but I'm usually talking about more longer sales cycles, 12, 18 months, sometimes even 24 months, technical integration, deal sizes are six figures to seven figures, you know, so, so that's the context because mm -hmm. it, it does shift a little bit, you know, if you say, yeah, but you know, Mark, we're selling a $199 a month seat license on a SaaS model, you yeah. know, and it's product led growth. Okay. There's, you know, there's some, you know, there, there, there's some shifts, but even in that, there are a ton of examples. You look at Figma, Figma was like mm. founder led growth for like 10 years or seven right. years, whatever. I mean, it's just an, it, you know, it's definitely an outlier in this example, but now Figma's, you know, multi-billion dollar company. And for like seven or 10 years, I think it took them 10 years to get to a million dollars of ARR. You know, yeah. um, well, I, I think in that situation, you know, the founder needed to figure out how to delegate too, and not <laughs> you know, do, very, all, do everything, very, you know, themselves, very, right? very, very yeah. possible. And I, and, and, and look, I've only listened to a few interviews and read, you know, so by no means am I an expert on Figma, yeah. but, but it, but my point though is, is that if along the way, um, they had made the decision, oh, you know, we need to bring a VP of sales in from Adobe, you know, or something. I'm just randomly, you know, ironically, I said Adobe, <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, a VP, you know, from some whatever, and, and they're, and, and they're going to accelerate. Well, guess what? That person would have dropped in there and went, you know, and probably not been successful, you right. know, and, and probably, you know, 18, 24 months later been gone. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And everybody would have been shocked. Like, we don't know what happened. Like they, they crushed it over here at their last company. Why'd they come here and they couldn't make anything happen? Well, you know, it's like, you haven't even figured out how to sell the product as a founder. Like, <laughs> yeah. so, well, I'm curious yeah. you know, when, when people are dealing with you and we are talking about different stages and, you know, Russ asked the question and should they have you come in before mm -hmm. they terminate somebody or after they turn, I want to take it from a, a different point of view. Should they bring you in first? Uh, you know, if, if, you know, they're going to market with a new product, they have this fantastic engineering team, but they don't really have a marketing team yet. Yeah. Should they bring you in at that point to kind of give them guidance and, and help them build the team? Super, um, it's super helpful. And, and certainly what I can do by coming in earlier is help them avoid, you know, burning some cash and frankly, losing time. You know, um, nowadays, uh, well, now cash is, is as precious or more precious than time even. But uh, even if we rewind the clock and go back a couple of years when, you know, people were just, re you know, Series A's were $100 million, you know, it's like, when, like, I remember it wasn't too yeah. long ago, like a Series D was $100 million and that was a company that was really <laughs> on fire, you know, yeah. so... So, you know, so there was a time when, you know, money was money just was, absolutely yeah, flowing. Easy. And, yeah. but, but the point is, is that it's the time, it's the time that gets lost. And so that's really precious. So, you know, um, I, I think working with someone, you know, like myself, and again, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to promote me. It's about working with someone who can come in and can really give the um, very clear guidance and advice and work with the founding team and work with the founders as they're making these decisions. So interestingly, um, I have uh, in multiple occasions been a part of hiring processes for executives uh, where 
I was actually leading the recruiting effort. And, mm. and, and, you know, that's, yeah. And, 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 and most candidates like actually viewed that as kind of like a, wow, this is actually really cool because this company understands the value, you know, this wasn't, you know, I, and, and, and this wasn't me as a recruiter. I was not being, you know, my engagement was not, oh, Mark, you know, here, we'll pay you a typical recruiting fee if you can come help us find someone. It's like, no, no. I, I wasn't being paid a recruiting fee. I was just being paid a, you know, my, my fee to, you know, to, to be a virtual executive and give them the guidance and, you know, and, um, and yet some people kind of scratch their head and go, this is a little weird. Like, shouldn't, shouldn't this position, shouldn't you be this, you know, like, why are you actually doing the interviewing for a job that it appears like, like, yeah, like you could be doing, you know, right. and, uh, and, and so, but yeah, um, that's a, you know, and that's super, super helpful because again, you know, and, and then I mean, I tell, you know, the, the, you know, the team that I'm working with, I say, look, you know, the beautiful part is, is that I, I am here only to see you be successful. So if I give you feedback, you know, either on a candidate or, you know, or there's, you know, a certain direction, you know, it's, it's to make you successful. It's not, you know, I don't have an agenda here. Otherwise I would already be in the role, <laughs> you know, cause we're working <laughs> together. Right. You right. know? And so I don't have an agenda. So if I, you know, advise you in one direction over another or give you input, like, you know, that doesn't mean you have to take it of course, but you know, know that it's given from a very pure place and it's given from a place that, you know, you're paying me or, you know, I'm here because you, you know, you're looking to improve. Well, so uh, I always like to, you know, try to give the listeners like actionable advice today. And I think, you know, one of the bits of that is like is something, you know, that we've I feel like said said a bunch on the show is like do what you can. But, you know, when you feel like you're stretched in a certain area, reaching out to somebody else for help is OK. <laughs> it's a good mm -hmm. thing. You mm -hmm. know, pulling in advice, whether it be, you know, for the, you know, finances or for HR or for marketing, like whatever it is, like pulling somebody in where that's their area of expertise can, you know, send you a long way forward. It's, it, you know, it's interesting um, in the kind of the solopreneur space, um, there is a real heavy orientation towards masterminds and, yeah. um, and some, some of these are shockingly expensive. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, like $20,000 a year is a cheap one. You know, I mean, I've heard of some, they're like a hundred thousand, 150,000 a year. Uh, I'm not a part of any of those, but <laughs> I have heard of them. They do exist. And what's interesting to me is, uh, I, I actually haven't thought of, of it before, but it's coming to me now. And so I, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's helpful for somebody. It's interesting how individuals are, seem sometimes to be more willing to invest in mentorship and, and, you know, usually through like these mastermind groups, which the whole premise is, 
you know, there's usually, a, you know, a person or maybe a small group of people who, you know, are further down the path and can help mm -hmm. and advise and get and support right. and train education. That's and then you also have the community aspect of it. Um, and I definitely believe in that. I mean, I believe in the value of the community and all that. Um, but it's interesting how sometimes individuals who in some cases are still not actually making a lot of money in their business will take what little resource they have and yet invest in like one of these masterminds. Um, and yet a business which has raised money, you know, um, a whole lot more money sometimes is a little bit more hesitant <laughs> to invest in consulting. It's super fascinating, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. there's actually a reason why though, uh, it is explainable. Um, the, the term consultant, uh, means so many different things. And a, a lot of times it, it used to mean, now this is less so today, but it used to mean sort of an executive who was in between full-time jobs, you know? And it was, you know, it was a way to, you know, maybe put some extra money in the bank account, you know, pay the mortgage, whatever, which is, which is great, which is completely valid. Um, but it, but that person was always basically using that as a, as a bridge, you know, to their next full-time job. So therefore, yes, they're consulting. Yes. They're, they're there to help a company, but they're ultimately there to get hired you know, in right. a full-time job. And so that causes them to, you know, maybe um, make different decisions or even offer different advice or to even act in a different way. And then you have the model of the big consulting firms where, you know, they come in with just their run, you know, their standard playbook and they sort of execute, um, you, you know, the the, the, you know, whatever their playbook is. Right. Uh, and you know, you've got really smart, but usually younger business folks who are out of, uh, you know, just recently got their MBA and they're executing a playbook. I'm not saying that doesn't have a place, but in startups, it doesn't have a place, you know, mm -hmm. but so that's in some people's minds. And then candidly, you know, there's a smattering of consultants that maybe, you know, came in and they really didn't add much value and people kind of went, yeah, we hired a consultant one time. And so, um, <laughs> I think the point is, is that, uh, is that the, the word consultant does mean different things because there are the consultants that are sort of the PowerPoint hand-waving strategy people. Um, and then there's, very, very, very few that get their hands in the dirt. And so right. the challenge as a startup founder, um, is it, you don't probably need more strategy. You know, a founder already has plenty of strategy and ideas. They need execution and finding somebody you can execute is, you know, is, is where the, the you know, right. challenge can be. I, I have an alternative thought on this theory. And I think there's a lot of uh, founders that want to be the hero and they don't mm. want to show signs of weakness. So they go to these masterminds, right? They gather all this knowledge because their intent is they're going to be the hero to figure mm. out how to go to market. And, and they bring know, the solution back, yeah. bring the solution yeah. back out of them mm -hmm. versus yeah. hiring yeah. consultants. And all of a sudden the yeah. consultant looks like, Hey, you needed to hire somebody to come in and figure it yeah. all out and solve your yeah. problems. And they don't yeah. want to admit that. So they don't want to hire a consultant. They're going to go the mastermind route. Yeah, I that's right. There's a lot and of personalities out there that, that that's that, their motivation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the fear of consulting. So I used to work in radio 
right? And and whenever a radio station would hire a consultant, that meant that the program director, the music director, and a bunch of the on-airs team was out. Out. <laughs> maybe, maybe a few salespeople uh, would survive, and that was about it. Yeah. But like, I think that there's that that fear. In, in fact, there was an episode of of WKRP in Cincinnati that I just watched recently. It's on over on YouTube where a consultant came in and everybody freaked out because they all <laughs> yeah, thought they were right, going to get fired. They, it was pretty yeah, funny. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I think that there's that that sort of you know um, that that feeling of well you know if they're going to hire a consultant mm. is this going to hurt the the team morale is this going to so there's a little stigma there I, I, I guess around consultants for some as well. But I like I, Greg. I like that that point is uh, also because I do feel like a lot of people. Well, they want to be the smartest person in the room or they want to be the hero, like you're saying, and and hiring somebody else to bring them in is sort of admitting that they're not they're not exactly. right. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, Mark, if somebody wanted to bring you in and uh, and uh, find out more information about the services that you offer, how do they do so? Yeah, so my website is growthstage.marketing. Um, it's a dot marketing domain, so it's I didn't not even growth know stage marketing. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> growthstage.marketing. And um, really, I, I've got a lot. I have some mini books up there. If you're interested in category design, if you just want to learn more about um, you know, product market fit. Uh, I've written a lot recently about account-based marketing, ABM, and everything is in that B2B, you know, sales motion. Uh, cool. If you're, you know, if you're a startup and you don't necessarily have to be a, a, a tech, a tech company. Um, but you know, if you're, if you have limited resources and you're trying to figure out and you sell B2B and you're trying to figure out how can I do more, you know, and not, um, you know, with the constraints I have, I think you'll find there's some real helpful uh, information there and on LinkedIn as well. I'm, I'm, you know, just Mark Donegan. Um, you can find me. I'm very easy to find. Awesome. I think that's how we found each other, right? Was, yeah. was LinkedIn. I, so there, I, you, there you go. I, I yeah, I believe so. Yeah. I'm yeah. very active on LinkedIn. So nice. it's, uh, well, nice. thanks for joining us tonight, Mark. Well, thank you for having me. It was, it was a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. I did yeah, too. thanks. Thanks for joining us. And also yeah. thank you for listening, subscribing and reviewing DIY for business, uh, wherever you're listening to us, like, uh, or watching us actually over on uh, YouTube, make sure you subscribe, hit the little bell. So, you know, when we're uh, getting new episodes out, we're doing new episodes every other week. And we'd love to feature businesses like yours right here on the show. If you would like to be a part of uh, DIY for business, just head over to our website, DIY for business.com. Uh, Fill out the form there and uh, you can join us just like uh, just like Mark did here. Uh, and again, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing to DIY for Business where you are not alone.